Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode. Uh, on this one, we have doubled a pleasure because... We have uh, an interview that we're going to be doing with Vinny Pazienza, former two-division world champion, a colorful, flamboyant, and uh, oftentimes endearing <laughs> guy, though that doesn't always take center stage. And then we also have an interview with uh, the legendary sportscaster, Tim Ryan, who called over 300 world championship fights and uh, covered 10 Olympic games, covering many sports. And of course, he was a multi-sport uh, sportcaster, but but made his mark doing boxing, to be sure. And that's uh, one of the main reasons we have him on uh, the show here uh, on this episode. And of course, uh, we're going to take some of your questions and chat a little bit about boxing. And to do all that, let me bring in my co-host, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Trip, hello there. Hey, Al, how are you? Congratulations. The Al Bernstein bounce took effect <laughs> on the fight, uh, the big top-ranked fight out of Vegas. Good job. Yeah, we, uh, we had Tiafima Lopez on our show, uh, and uh, uh, by being on my show, clearly it uh, inspired him to perform well, <laughs> and uh, he beat, uh, he beat uh, Vasily Lomachenko. Uh, you know, it was an amazing performance by Tiafima Lopez. Uh, it, he, he, you know, some of the, I know many people have kind of laid some of it at the doorstep of Vasily Lomachenko being inactive uh, for 14 uh, months leading up to the fight. Also, Lomachenko being a little inactive in the fight in those initial rounds and not getting off offensively. But some of that was due to Teofimo Lopez and the power that he brought uh, to the game. And uh, it was a, a very intriguing fight. It wasn't a barn burner, but it had a lot of uh, exciting moments. And uh, Lopez was able to do something that's pretty tough to beat, beat one of the best pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the world today, uh, Vasily Lomachenko. You know, he, he did it, uh, I thought, uh, by making sure that he used his jab and, uh, and, and mixed in those terrific uppercuts, also landed some powerful right hands. And one of the things that is interesting about the fight is uh, – Lopez is a monstrous puncher at 135. We saw that against Richard Comey. He was able to land big punches on some occasions, but Lomachenko was able to take them. So uh, it was a, a very good performance for him. Lomachenko did come back and have great moments in the latter portion of the fight, but it just wasn't quite enough. Well, we've got a couple of questions uh, pursuant to that fight, and why don't we get after them? Yeah, let's do it. So um, when you're watching the fight, Bradley came out by the way, Andre Ward did a great job, too, and a good friend of the show. I thought acquitted himself very well. But Bradley came out and said, Lopez is going to win this thing by a knockout. Is it rare to have a color analyst come out and be so assertive on their picks? Yeah, that's referring to Tim Bradley, who we also had as a guest on this show, and Tim's a great guy. Um, you know, this it gets back to one of uh, a main – uh, central theme of sports casting these days, do you or don't you? Uh, in many sports, we have people broadcasting uh, sporting events and actually predicting who will make, who will win. Now, it's not often done on the telecast, as was the case here. Um, as you know, I have kind of a personal rule that I, if I'm going to broadcast a, a boxing match or any sporting event I've ever broadcast, I definitely don't feel uh, I want to predict who's going to win. Um, I would rather have people feel that I'm watching that event as they are uh, and without any preconceived notions, uh, though we all, of course, have them. But, you know, the idea is to to not make them front and center. Tim uh, didn't feel that was uh, the case. He was happy to make a prediction. Uh, that's not my general rule of thumb. And in general, I'm not in favor of doing it, but uh, Tim's kind of carving out a career in which he's very outspoken uh, and very opinionated when he does the fights. And so 
I think in a way this was in keeping with the brand he's kind of creating. Uh, but for me, it's not, uh, it's not what I do. Yeah, and you, in your uh, most recent book, you talked about the fact that announcers now are going for more controversy, a little bit different way of looking at things. And yeah, it, it's changed. It did. It changed dramatically. And, uh, uh, and so I, you know, uh, and it's encouraged by uh, producers and people uh, doing television on the sport. So he's not an out, he's not an outlier in this regard. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a different way of looking at things. And Skip Bayless's accountant is also is encouraging that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> and his agent who takes a percentage of the uh, money that Skip Bayless makes. <laughs> and uh, next question coming in. Uh, what about Loma going back to 130? Would that be a better weight for him? Yeah, uh, you know, I think that question is a valid one. Uh, I, in fact, think that uh, Vasily Lomachenko is probably better at weights below 135. Uh, he was an effect, he's an effective lightweight, and the loss to Lopez doesn't mean he can't beat other top lightweights out there uh, and has beaten top lightweights. But I think 130 is a great weight for him, and he can still make it easily. And down at that weight, uh, Shakur Stevenson is down there, another what could be a huge fight. Uh, and he could fight the winner of uh, Miguel Burchelt and uh, Oscar Valdez, which is coming up in December. So there are fights down at 130 for Vasily Lomachenko. And, you know, one of the, the things that, you know, in boxing, we tend to overreact to things in sports in general. Uh, and even though Vasily Lomachenko lost that fight to Teofimo Lopez, it doesn't diminish the fact that he's a fantastic fighter. And that's why I'd like to see him go down and wait and fight some of these top fighters. I think it would be intriguing. Well, uh, m fighting at multi-weight divisions was something that our first guest uh, certainly did. Uh, Vinny Pazienza, while he was uh, fought at junior lightweight, lightweight, and then went all the way up to, I think, uh, when he, by the time he was done, he fought at 168, which was pretty extraordinary. Uh, and along the way, gave boxing fans lots of excitement. And I've been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, and we had it with my friend, Vinny Pazienza. Hey, Al, good news. We have a great new sponsor of the show, and that's my bookie. And as you and I have been involved with uh, handicapping for a lot of years, this is a great company. We're excited to have them on the show. And the good news is winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means insane props, epic bonuses, and the craziest cross-sport wagers. At MyBookie, winning season means watching live sports and betting live sports all season long. Rejoice! The NFL has returned. That means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes. Get in on the action and use promo code BERNSTEIN and double your first deposit. New players get up to 1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best this season for your chance to win big. Use promo code Bernstein, that's promo code Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, and you will double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at my bookie. Leo, this uh, match is an interesting one for so many reasons uh, between you and Tank Davis. One of them is the fact that it's for both the lightweight and, and uh, uh, junior lightweight championship, super featherweight, if you will. And for you, you could become the first Mexican fighter to win titles in five different weight classes. That's got to be a, a pretty impressive thought for you to think you could be going for that. <laughs> Vinny, thank you for uh, joining me here. This is one conversation I've looked forward to for quite a while. Very good, Al. You know, you know, whenever your name pops up, I think of my mom, and that's a good connection. <laughs> your mom, Louise, was a wonderful, wonderful lady, and uh, uh, I really, really enjoyed knowing her. And uh, she, was a, she was a great fan of my broadcasting. She would always tell me nice things, and she made me feel good because I was still in, young in my career, and uh, I needed all the positive uh, strokes I could get. <laughs> you, know, you know, Al, it, it's funny, but it's, it's actually 
a, a game of luck, a life of luck. You just got to be lucky to have good parents. The only, the only, yeah. reason, why, only reason why I won one of those, maybe I wouldn't have won not one if I didn't have the, the great parents that I had. Really, I got, I got blessed. That's a good way to put it. It, it is true. Who yeah. we get born to and is a roll of the dice, isn't it? And uh, having parents that are loving and supportive and uh, will help <laughs> you achieve your goals is something that not everybody does have. And when you have it, it's a blessing. Yeah, I got I got really blessed in life. You know, I got blessed. I I I look at it this way, Al. I got blessed. I won 50, 50 pro fights. I got blessed. I won five different world titles. I got blessed. I came back from a broken neck. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm a blessed guy. That's why I'm here now, right now. Yeah, you are for sure. And uh, and we're going to talk about uh, a bunch of that. Um, I wanted to ask you um, that. When you were young, did you have the sense that you were you were destined to be a boxer? That that was going to be the phrase that would be used to identify you? One thousand percent. I, I fell in love with this guy when I was five years old, called Muhammad Ali. Yeah, loved him. I, I created my life after that guy. I loved him. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting role model for sure. And 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 you're not the first person. A number of boxers say that, you know, they say it was so powerful, the images of him doing what he did. And of course, you created a, a, a terrific career. And the first really super big moment of that career happened in Rhode Island when you uh, in front of a packed house in your home home area, when you fought Greg Hogan for the lightweight title. And you mentioned your mom. Uh, there's a great uh, on NBC Sports World. Uh, just before the fight is happening, when all the you did your walk in and the crowd was was so it was such an emotional moment. They had this great shot of her dabbing away tears from her eyes. So for her, clearly, uh, she felt the cathartic moment of that. Um, wow. What was that experience like for you? Jeez, it it was <laughs> you know after when the announcer called me as the champion, I thought I found God. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I found Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, but then I found out like a couple, couple of fights later, nah, I didn't find Jesus <laughs> Maybe Christ. Maybe you didn't. <laughs> well, for the moment you did anyway. For the moment it was unbelievable. My God, the first world title we ever win. And that's what I dreamed of my whole life since I was five years old. Yeah, and to do it in that setting with uh, with such support from the people that you had grown up around uh, had to be really, uh, really spectacular. You know, you, you mentioned moving on from that. You had a, uh, a, a rivalry with Greg Haugen. It turned out to be a three-fight rivalry. And the two of you, you know, I know both of you very well. Greg Haugen was actually a neighbor of mine in Las Vegas for a while. And he's I a very feisty guy. Yeah. Um, so you know, he can, he can get under your skin a little bit. And you are well, a flamboyant competitor. The two of you made for an interesting combination. He's a douche. <laughs> <laughs> Quite frankly, I don't like him. And I still I don't. You guys never got along. No. No, because he's not a good guy. And I am a good guy. He's, he's, there, are, there are people that, you know, Greg, there's no question Greg Hagen is, 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 it has left a trail behind him of some folks that are not too thrilled with him. Yeah. Uh, and I know I felt that it was kind of genuine antagonism between, between the two of you. But you did, well, you ended up kind of getting the last laugh because you won two out of the three fights from him. Absolutely. And so the last part, the last fight was, 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 a, was a great fight for me. He, he barely hit me. I think he hit me with two shots the whole fight. You know, I danced around. And, and literally, um, Donald Trump was in the front row. Oh, you know, interesting. How yeah, how, how nuts, how crazy is that? Yeah, think about that. At that time, you probably never thought the, the, the uh, president was sitting in the first row. Imagine, imagine how, how nuts is that? <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> of course, of course not. <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, I never uh, argue with anybody about politics. <laughs> yeah, no, it's too dangerous. More dangerous than getting in the ring, I think. 
Um, and you, of course, fashioned after that a, a career that included a number of different championships. You had a moment that I want to ask you about that I wasn't even that aware of until I was doing some research for this interview, where you fought Roger Mayweather. And after the fight, you suffered probably some kind of dehydration or something physical that you really were worried. You literally were worried you were going to die at that point. Or at least that's what was reported. How, how much trouble were you in at that point? Al, I was dead. I died for for a moment, and you know, I was I was sitting on. And I can remember this. I don't remember too many things, you know. After after over a hundred pro fights, yeah. sixty professional fights, thousands and millions of rounds of sparring, I'm lucky. I'm as good as I am now. No, you're but, good. You remember a lot. But I, I remember, I was laying on the bed. And um, in the hospital, and, and my father was in the room with me. And I just remember, Al, I was going up and up through white, white, wow. not like not like white like my hat, vibrant white clouds. And I was just going up and up and up. And, and I said, everybody was at that fight because the main bout was Sugar Ray Leonard versus Donnie Lalonde. Remember? Yes, I recall that fight, yeah. Everybody was there. I mean, Stallone was in the crowd. You yeah. Hefner. Like, everybody was there. And it was the first time I got dropped. Like, like Roger hit me. I was so, I, I felt, yeah. I felt like it was a bad dream, the fight. And I was just so embarrassed. And, and after the fight, when, when they took me to the hospital, because they had to pump me up with fluids, I was so dehydrated. Mm. I couldn't make 140. You got through it, and no matter, and even with the uh, with the scare, um, and uh, you, you had, I was laying on that bed. I'm on that. On um, it wasn't a bed; it was a hard thing where they, where they had the X-rays going on me. But I can remember just going off, saying, "You know what, Vinny Paz, fuck it. You just lost. You got beat. You got dropped. You know what." Frig, friggin', I'm out of here. And I felt myself going up and up. And I, my mother was very religious. I'm not very religious, but I was going up and up out through white, mm. bright clouds, and it felt great. It, it felt great. And I, and, I, and I literally said to myself, you know, uh, I'm going, I'm going. I, I, I feel like a douchebag. I got dropped oh. by, by Mayweather. Um, I'm, I'm out of here. This is it. It's over for me. And the nurse, my father wasn't there because the Duvis never came with me to anywhere to the hospital or anything. They, they were at the fight, made their money, and then screwed. So my father was in the room with me, and the nurse came in and said to my father, said, Mr. Pazienza, we're losing your son. Wow. He's only got one heartbeat every seven to eight seconds. Hmm. And my father grabbed my shirt, and he started shaking me violently out. and and and. Boom, I came back down. That was the only thing that I, I'd be going. We wouldn't be talking right now. Wow. Yeah, crazy. Story. Crazy and 1,000% and truth. That is, that is wild. Oh, my gosh. Well, you, you, um, your story is about overcoming. And in that case, you overcame uh, a near-death experience. And you had to overcome another terrible tragedy that happened to you, um, the car accident where you got a broken neck and a number of other very, very serious injuries, um, concerns again about you literally getting through it, uh, and yet astonishingly, you were able to not only recover, but return to the boxing ring. During that time, what was it that made you feel like you had to not just recover, but had to actually box again? Al, when, when, when something's in here, you, you do what you got to do to, mm. to make anything happen. You know, you know what I mean? When it's in here, it's, it's just that, you know, it, it ain't going nowhere when it's in here. Right. And, and I, I got lucky, you know, I got lucky and I, I, I worked hard. I was, and I, you know, blessed, blessed once again, blessed. You, uh, you, you worked extraordinarily hard, and uh, very few people, I'm going to guess, thought you were going to get there. How much uh, 
did people suggest to you this was a, not a good idea? How, how many people suggested that to you? A lot, I'm guessing. Every, everybody except Kevin Rooney. Ah. <laughs> yeah, everybody except Kevin. Kevin was, was, you know, I was like this with Kevin. I loved Kevin. Kevin was such a great guy. Really, like really, he was a great guy and a great trainer. You know, he was, he was awesome yeah. with me. Excellent trainer. And he supported you. And of course, um, a movie was made about uh, Bleed for This, which is a terrific uh, boxing movie. I was privileged to do a few voiceovers for it, to participate a little bit. And uh, it was a wonderful movie that I thought really kind of gave people the idea of, uh, of just what you had gone through. And um, I'm guessing it, it felt kind of cathartic to you and a good feeling to have that story told to another generation. The movie was really good, you know. I, I I can't say enough about it. I'm just I'm glad I'm, I'm I don't know how Miles Teller played me so well. Unbelievable, he was fantastic, wasn't he? Yeah. And I, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. Good, good, real good guy. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And the movie was, uh, as we said, it chronicled your story, uh, you know, exceptionally well. And uh, and and I, I found it interesting when the movie came out. Um, talking to young boxing fans who were kind of aware of you but didn't know everything about you and they would talk to me about the movie and they'd say you know this is just a yeah. you know an amazing story so I'm guessing it won you uh, a, an additional group of fans that you didn't even have you know it, it's it's funny Al, how life goes and um, you know I got I got a little bit screwed with the producers of the movie it was supposed to put it in over 3,000 theaters they put it in less than 100. Uh, yeah, which, you know, which really made it suck. But it's okay. I got, I, got a, I got some big stuff going on now with a documentary that's going to be off the hook. The filming of it is incredible. I've seen, like, some of the footage. And I've been, I've been on TV since I was 18 years old. And I've never seen anything remotely close to this. It's, it's awesome. And you'll see it. You'll see it. Um, you'll hear about it shortly. It's um, it's going to be a big one. It's going to be out there. It's That's great. When it when do you think it's going to be concluded uh, for uh, to be? It's going to be 2021. Excellent. Well, we'll yeah. all look forward to it. It's it uh, the the footage they got now is I just can't even believe it. And it's my life, but I've never seen it done like this. It's crazy. Cool. Really, really cool. Isn't it interesting how? even though, as you point out, it's your life and you lived it, seeing it from a different angle gives you a different idea about it, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, most certainly. And every time I look, I shake my head and go, what the <laughs> fuck was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> How did but, I do that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it worked out. Pretty amazing. Um, so you, in your boxing career, you also, you had a couple other uh, rivalries in addition to the Haugen, of course, you had a rivalry with two other men, Dana Rosenblatt and, and Roberto Duran. Of course, you fought many other great champions, uh, but those were two that you, you had rivalries with. If I gave you each of their names, give me your, uh, a, a one or two sentence description of them. Let's start with Dana Rosenblatt. Did you say two words well a description a short description of how you feel of, of your impression of him in the rosenblatt douche bag <laughs> did you say bad douche bag oh okay <laughs> douche bag okay you're not a fan two of words. dana's two words all right that's all right we'll take that so dana's not not your favorite um how about Roberto Duran, if you had to give me a description of him? One of the greatest fighters of all time. He, he was amazing. Okay. You know, I, I, I fought him. He was 73, I think. Yeah. He was <laughs> actually 43, but 73 will do. Yeah. He, I think he was getting ready to get his AARP card. But he still, amazingly, yeah. at 43, did have something left in the tank. Al, when I tell you this freaking guy hit me harder than anybody by far my whole life. I, I mean, I fought the heavyweight champ of the world. I fought everybody, you know, and 
oh my god when he hit it was it was like it was like a a turn of like like a like like the, that big ball that big metal ball boom, banging into your body boom, yeah. banging every every shot it was it was incredible i couldn't believe it in the first round i went i took the first shot and i went in my mind i went no way no way you did not just hit me that hard no way and then he did it again and i go oh my god how am i gonna take 12 rounds of this shit oh that's crazy even at 43 that's that's pretty extraordinary uh, uh and watching those fights while clearly he wasn't what he was before there were spots in that fight where he did some some really good work, and uh, yeah. it was still, it was pretty interesting to be sure. Tough, tough guy, still, still a tough badass. Yeah. What if you if you had to encapsulate um, what makes uh, Vinny Pazienza, what made him special in the ring? What were the qualities that you think you had that made you able to win those championships and do what you did? Um, a lot of hard work. I never, I never stopped in the ring. I, I was always moving. I was always moving. I was always on the go. I was always doing something. I was, I was, I was either throwing a punch. I was blocking. I was, I was slipping. I was faking. I was fainting. I was always doing something in the ring. That's why I won 50 fights. As like every fight, I was very prepared. And, um, and, and, you know, I just, I just moved around and did things that, like, if you go back and you look at some of the, the some of my fights, you, you, you know, you shake your head and go, oh my God, yeah. I, I never stopped. You know, that was, that was the big thing for me. That was, that was why I won so many fights. That's why I was so hard to fight. Cause I never yeah. stopped moving. Yeah, I never stopped moving. That's a very good point. You know, I was watching a lot of video in the last three or four days before we did this interview. And it's funny you're saying that because it was your activity, not with just your hands, but your legs as well, the angles you were constantly giving people, and the fact that you were throwing a wide variety of punches. It was just yeah. a lot of activity for them to have to deal with. Yeah, and, and, I, and I always and I mix it up, boom, jab, jab. Boom, I throw an overhand right. Boom, I lead off with an uppercut. Boom, I, I throw a left hook. You never knew what I was gonna do. And, you know, it worked real well for me. Everybody, for the most part, you know, I won 50 out of 60 fights. In five of those fights, I could have won. You know, I had problems with weight and, and everything else. And, and you know, I fought, I lost to all world champion fighters. So, it, obviously, my, my style was, was pretty, pretty good, pretty different. Yeah, it was, it was that indeed. When you look at boxing today, who are some of the fighters that you get a kick out of uh, seeing? Some of the boxers you look at and say, "Wow, I like that." You know, I I, I um I actually enjoyed the the Floyd thing. You mm -hmm. know, I I, I kind of liked it because I, I know Floyd; he's a good guy, and um, you know, I, I I was glad to see him get to that fifty and and uh, and then split, um, but. I, another guy that I really like and that I'm so, so, so pissed off at that he lost, Dante Wilder. Ah. Uh, Great guy. Yeah. Do, do, you, do you think that um, at age 34, does he need to change things or is it just a matter of him refocusing uh, and getting back into the, uh, into the college, next he, phase? It's going to be refocusing, but it, he's, he's only, he's only going to win. He's only going to beat this, this, this big, this big guy. He, he's only going to beat Tyson Fury if he does what Tyson Fury is doing. That's the only way he's going to do it, which means he's got to do some, he's got to take some steroids and he's got to do some growth hormone because that's exactly what that guy was on and and i don't give a shit what anybody says that's a fact jack and you just hey, cannot why, why do you think that's true you just feel it oh my god ow he i mean he, he does drugs his whole life well, you know this is going to make him a better boxer it's going to make him a tougher stronger and you know 
of course he's gonna take he's gonna take that stuff. He was hanging out with he was hanging out with some some bodybuilders that I know that 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 are very high end bodybuilders. You know, he was hanging out with them at, at the fights. So I mean that, that's that I mean it's a no brainer. And and um, you know I I literally even tried to get in touch with Dan with uh, Deontay after the fight and and to tell him. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting on his call or, um, or I want to try to talk to some of his people because he's not going to win against that guy when that guy's jacked up the way he is. It's almost impossible. It's, it's, it's a good, good guy, a good fighter, Tyson Fury, good fighter, Dante Wilder, good fighter. But now when you add in all that stuff, you add in all those, those, those growth hormones, oh my God. He, 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 was, he was a beast. You know, he felt like a king. He came in on a throne. That goes to show you, like, he felt like a king. When you take that stuff, I've never done growth hormone. I've been, I've been friends with plenty of guys who, who did it and told me that, Vinny, it's unbelievable. It, it, it regrows your body. You feel like a monster. You, you feel great. Every every muscle is 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 added to to the muscle that you already have. You know, I got guys that you know do it religiously, and and I can see the difference in their body, and their motions, and their movement, in their thought process. And so, do you feel Jordan, that somehow he mastered for the test that he took? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. absolutely. Oh my God, yes. And they even said something about it after, like there was something said about it that Tyson Fury didn't want to do the test. Something, some, something's not right there, you know. Okay. Well, you are, right. you are never shy in giving your opinion about things. That's for sure. So, love to mark that one down. Um, you are in in your post boxing uh, uh, time. Uh, people have kind of looked back, uh, I think, at your journey and realized just how remarkable that comeback was. At the time of the comeback, I always have, and I've never asked you about this, I almost kind of felt that at the time, people didn't quite give that story its due. Uh, and I'm not sure the exact reason why they didn't. Did you sense that, that it wasn't quite as dramatically told when you came back from the, the injury uh, and how extraordinary it was. There was coverage of it, certainly, but it didn't seem like the story got its just due. You, you, Al, you're, Al you're, you're, a smart, you're a smart mofo, Al. <laughs> well, that, thank you. <laughs> you. Yeah, that's a total compliment. You're a, you're a shop guy, but you're a smart motherfucker. Why? Why do you think that was the case? If it did happen, um, just because of 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 the 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 people that I was with, the people who who were around me. Okay. It's fun you say. I I have the I have the greatest PR girl. She's she's actually my heart. Great so job. My yeah, I'm, I'm, I think you even know she's Zena. And yes, excellent, lovely lady. Oh, she's the bomb. She's the best. I I love her to death. Yeah, very competent and very good. I'd take a bullet for that girl all day. Um, but we were talking about it just the other day. Like, you know, Vinny, she, she said to me, she said, no, Vinny, I'm not, I'm not liking like how some of these things are going. You know, you're not, they're not giving you the respect and, and you know, you're not getting like what you should get from that comeback. And as the, whatever, I, you know, I, 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 I don't, Al, I'm, I'm easy go, easy come, you know, I, I really don't even give a shit. But now, do you think at the time you you were very you know you were a very emotional uh, you were a very um, flamboyant figure? Do you think that part of the reason at the time it wasn't seen as a a feel good story is because you were uh, somebody that would speak their mind and would be uh, you know sometimes antagonistic? Yeah, that's that's definitely some of it. Definitely some of it. And um, you know, 
you, you got your ups and downs in life and you, right. you just, just got to go with it. And yeah, I, and we, you know, I, I have granted. yet to meet the, the, the person that did everything perfect in life. Yeah, right. I don't know if that person right. exists. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. No, probably not. <laughs> Vinny, I, I, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, visit with me and, uh, and, and share your thoughts with boxing fans. I know you have so many fans around the world that, uh, that enjoy you. Yeah. I, I've always enjoyed uh, knowing you and, uh, and you referenced your mom. I think about her every time, you know, when you were at the uh, Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame and uh, Dana White caught up and gave you an award and, and you were all reminiscing about your mom. It was a, just a charming moment. That's cool. That's so nice of you to say. <laughs> and and she was. She loved. She loved boxing. She loved you. You know. She was. She was nervous as hell. She never watched one of my fights. But when I won the fifty fights that I won, she watched maybe like two, three hundred times a piece. Yeah. No, that's that's pretty amazing. Well, hey, yeah, thank pretty... you so much for uh, taking the time to visit with me here. Awesome, Al. We'll do it again too. We'll do it again when, when, when the documentary we'll come comes again. When, when a documentary comes out, it'll be on yes. one of the big networks. We'll, we'll, we'll do something. Yeah, I want to be able to promote that for you and talk about it. So let's awesome. let, definitely we'll, we'll get you back on here to talk about that. You right, bomb, man. Stay strong. Take care. So that was my conversation with Vinny Pazienza. As you saw, Vinny is not shy about speaking his mind and offering his opinions on what, uh, what's going on in the world of boxing. He is a class, classic, I should say. I was going to say class act, which he is 99% of the time. But those were fun comments. And when you're doing an interview like that and you get something controversial, does, your, does a little bell go off in your head saying this is going to be good? Yeah, I'm not geared that way so much. But that was an interesting take. You know, I, you know I, I'm not uh, one that goes in that direction. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I, I hasten to point out that that's those are Vinny's opinions. Uh, and uh, what is it? What's that line? Uh, they do not necessarily reflect management's opinion. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, it's the way he feels. And uh, while there are, you know, clearly in Tyson Fury's case, he had to pass drug tests. And, uh, you know, he's suggesting that somehow he's masking. That's, you know, that's his viewpoint. And uh, he's happy to present it. Uh, and, you know, that's the thing about Vinny. You, you know, he, he, is, he has opinions and he is not afraid to state them for sure. Um, well, I sometimes have opinions and the way I state them is from questions. And I know we have one more question. On, we uh, do. And speaking board. of a guy who's rather large, uh, Sebastian Fandoro, um, Wayne Turner writes in, is he a freak show or is he legit? And at six foot five, he's a big guy. He is, and what makes that more, the most amazing thing is at six foot five, he uh, participates in a 154 pound division. So that's amazing. And what makes it even more amazing is he makes that weight comfortably. So uh, he just comes off a win. He's going to be fighting uh, in December on the uh, December 5th on the, the uh, undercard of Errol Spence and um, Danny Garcia. And he's going to take on Jorge Cota, who is a uh, a good fighter, but one who lost to Jamel Charlo and uh, uh, and Erickson Lubin, kind of a gatekeeper in the 154-pound division. And Fandara comes in, though, off a very big win over Nathaniel Gallimore, who fought uh, J. Rock Williams very tough in his fight uh, and has, has fought well against uh, other folks as well. And Gallimore has never been stopped until he fought Fandora. And Fandora is, as we've pointed out, very tall for that weight division, and yet he likes to fight on the inside, which is kind of an anomaly. But he can fight on the outside as well, and he is a handful. He has a fantastic uppercut, throws great combinations, and uh, I, the 154-pound division is filled with great fighters, and uh, he's going to soon be one of them. Did I mention the word great? Well, uh, that's a word that I, I, I like to not toss around unless it's uh, applicable, and it is applicable to our next guest. Uh, Tim Ryan was the voice of boxing on CBS for many, many years, 
working alongside my friend and mentor, Gil Clancy. Uh, I mentioned uh, that Tim uh, was extraordinary as a boxing announcer with more than over 300 championship fights, uh, to his credit. And uh, he, and, he and Gil, in my opinion, uh, are kind of the gold standard for a two-man booth in the sport of boxing. And uh, Tim is a very eclectic uh, and erudite man, and uh, you'll get a sense of that uh, as we talk to Tim Ryan. Tim, you have had a, uh, of course, a, a varied career uh, in which you've done so many different uh, sports. Uh, but one of the things that you are known for is your great work in boxing, with um, especially with Gil Clancy as your partner for most of the shows that you did. And the boxing experience, I'm guessing, was different than the other sports you did. Well, yes, in a lot of ways. Um... It was, I think, because at that time of my career, Al, as you well know, I'm older than you are, so you may not remember all of it. But when you think when, when boxing came back to uh, network television uh, for the first time in, in color, really, because previously, you know, the Friday night fights were in black and white. Right. And, uh, and what led to that uh, resurgence uh, on television was the success of the U.S. Olympic team. Um, and uh, would have would have been seventy six. Seventy six, yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, so you had uh, you know Sugar Ray Leonard and Howard Davis and the Pink's brothers as a great team, and that brought a spark of interest uh, just at the time that that sports were starting to be covered from overseas live back into the U.S. So it was during my CBS life, which was about twenty years or so, uh, that uh, CBS kind of thought that was an opportunity to mm -hmm. jump into uh, boxing. And, um, you know, I was obviously uh, uh, one of the people who benefited from that because I was just picked to do it, having done some radio for Mutual, Mutual Radio uh, Network uh, boxing and already contracted at CBS. I was kind of the only and logical guy to, to start covering boxing on television. So I had actually done a couple of fights um, at NBC in my first go round at NBC, again, because of that same timing with what had been 76, 77, right after that U.S. Olympic team uh, coming out. And we did a couple of fights in, uh, in Paris, as, as I recall, which was a nice way to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not too bad. <laughs> and then when I moved over to CBS in 77, things were really starting to move there. And uh, they had made a, an arrangement with uh, promoter Bob Arum, uh, our mutual friend. And uh, he was connected to some uh, promoters in Europe. And that's the time then we started to see a lot of boxing on American television. And uh, your original pairing on CBS included, if I'm remembering correctly, both Gil Clancy and Angelo Dundee, two of the legendary figures in the sport of boxing. Uh, and then it would pair down to you and Gil Clancy. And the two of you, um, you know, were an iconic uh, duo uh, doing boxing. What was the, did you feel the chemistry that you and uh, Gil had right from the get-go? Well, not immediately. He was 20 years older than I was, for one thing. And I didn't know how much we had in common and just ah. you know, life and lifestyle. Uh, but uh, we quickly, maybe it's part of sharing an Irish heritage, I'm not <laughs> sure, but uh, kind of quickly, um, our bond really became a genuine wow. friendship. And uh, I was very honored when he when he died at age 88 to be asked to deliver the eulogy at, at the funeral. And we had become very close friends. And that length of time to be working with the same person was unmatched, uh, I guess, in among any sports commentators. Yeah. Sport, uh, you know, I, as you mentioned, I covered a lot of things, you know, NFL football and basketball and hockey and Olympic sports and so on. And I had many, many great uh, analysts working with me, but none with that kind of tenure that I had with with Gil. I feel very grateful for that. Yeah, with the two of you, I, I remember on a couple of pay-per-views sitting in with the two of you, and yeah. I felt I felt a little bit like if I was tapping. Uh, Fred Astaire on the shoulder, if I was going to talk, tapping Fred Astaire on the shoulder and asking if I could kind of dance with Ginger Rogers for a second. <laughs> I, I felt maybe I shouldn't be here, even though you guys are very gracious. 
Um, well, we're always happy when you are around, Dale. I mean, that's a good point. And the, and the thing is that, you know, you get asked as you do in this business, you know, who's the best at this and the best at that and so on. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's an opinion that I don't mind saying and people say, oh, you're, you're prejudiced because you worked with them for so long. But I, I don't think anybody before or since yeah. has really matched Gil's ability to see both fighters at the same time. Yeah. Uh, other analysts tend to focus on one or the other and tell you what, what he's doing well and what he's not doing well. And I, all those years of being a trainer for, for Gil gave him that special perspective that he was able to see the fight from both sides. And I think that's why the viewer was, was so lucky to have him describing what was going on and why. Yeah, he was a savant. There's no question about that. And during that period, you did over 300 uh, championship fights. And not only in the 70s, moving into the 80s, of course, which was, in my opinion, uh, one of the great decades in boxing. And Gil told me once that he thought it was one of the great decades ever in boxing. Even And of course, as you point out, he had seen uh, many of the decades previous to that. Those memories, uh, you know, you did, um, uh, you know, great fights involving people like Alexis Arguello and all the great champ, all the great light heavyweights. You did a lot of the great light heavyweight fights of that era, and that light heavyweight division was one of the best ever. Well, it was. I think the light heavyweights and, and the run with the lightweights, they didn't, they weren't totally concurrent, but you mentioned there was a decade of the 80s and actually into the early 90s that we continued. But when you when you think back about some of those names, uh, certainly among the light heavyweights, Marvin Camel, Yaki Lopez, uh, 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 Eddie Gregory, uh, yeah. there were a lot of really solid uh, light heavyweights. Many of them became champions, and, and we got to cover them. The lightweight division probably even had a little more pop for the audience because you had some really colorful guys like Hector Camacho, may rest right. And of course, the elegant uh, Alexis Arguello and the scrappy Boom Boom Mancini. And, you know, there was, there was a contrast in the personalities and the styles that, you know, fans would line up behind one or the other, enjoy, you know, enjoying, oh, that's my guy kind of thing. And that added a lot to, uh, I think, that era. And that was kind of mid to late 80s. Uh, and it was, uh, we were lucky to have that uh, amount of talent that we could put on literally every weekend. Yeah, and you got to tell stories. You know, you were uh, one of the major chroniclers of the Ray Mancini story, which was, a, people forget, it was kind of a condensed story because his real fame was for about a two-year period, two-and-a-half-year period. He condensed so much in that time, trying to win a title from Arguello, the tragedy with Dooku Kim, winning a world title. And you were there for almost all of it. That had to be a pretty remarkable story to uh, be able to chronicle. Well, he had a family that was kind of like right out of the movies. You know, they were yeah. they were uh, just a real typical American Italian family, working class people from Warren, Ohio. And the first fight that we did, I think it was the first time that we actually had him on television, was in Warren. And uh, you know, a lot of people would say right away, "Well, where's Warren, Ohio?" You know, that was that was <laughs> the first thing. But because he was such a, a huge fan favorite there, and the crowds came out to see him and support him, it was kind of like a folk tale, and he was kind of a fork folk hero. And so that was the beginning of the people, the rest of the boxing public, finding this kind of great American Italian story. And he was such a likable guy. I mean, he was very genuine. He didn't put it on for show. That was just boom, boom, and still is. Ray Mancini is just a great guy. And, you know, so for us to be able to follow his career and in effect um, be there knowing as each fight was coming up that we'd be covering it on CBS, and it was the CBS era, that, uh, you know, Ray was going to give us a good show every time and the fans were going to love it. And you actually uh, kind of, one of your early forays into boxing was doing the radio broadcast of the Ali Frazier fight. That had to be a fascinating experience. And you were not at that time yet, I don't think, super experienced at doing boxing. Just being there in the enormity of that event had to be special. Oh, yeah. And, I, you know, I did write about that extensively in my book because yeah. it was... Um, a pretty memorable thing and a, just a stroke of luck that I was there. I, I try to give you the short version of the story of how it happened, but um, I had been doing a few fights on mutual radio and uh, Jack Price was a man who ran the broadcast division at Madison Square Garden at the time. And he tipped me off that there was an issue uh, when the Ollie Frazier fight had been booked into the, uh, the, at the Garden in New York 
that the, uh, the television rights that were owned by Jerry Parencio, who was a big cable TV guy, and Jack Kent Cooke, um, uh, they went on uh, years later uh, to own a number of sports franchises and so on. That there, there, what they had not gotten done was to make sure that the World Heavyweight Championship radio feed was going to the Armed Forces Network which was a tradition of many, many centuries, not centuries, decades in the U.S. And they, at the last minute, they realized that that was the case. And they had some pay-per-view um, uh, screenings at some army bases. So they kind of thought they had that covered. That created an instant controversy just a few days before the fight. Mm. So they were effect pressured by a story in the New York Times to make sure that it was the fight broadcast was delivered to the Armed Forces Network. Well, they had to set that up quickly. There were no announcers assigned. And it turned out because I had been hired at the last minute by the New Zealand Radio Broadcasting <laughs> Network to be their announcer because they couldn't afford to send one from New Zealand to right. New York. So, and I looked up and down when I got there at the end of this long story, I'm sorry, but there was a row of radio announcers from all around the world, but I was the only English speaking one. And they wouldn't take the TV feed, of course. That was Don Dunphy as a play-by-play. And uh, so it came to me. They said, well, we need somebody to allow the feed to go to the Armed Forces Network. Uh, could we take your feed that's going to New Zealand? And they don't have any money, the Armed Forces Network. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? I wouldn't take a nickel yeah. from the Armed Forces Radio Network. I am thrilled and honored. Uh, to have my voice go out and call a heavyweight championship fight. So that's how it occurred, and I remember it all to this day. You make the point about the garden itself and what a spectacle it was. Uh, you know, I, I, I said there, were, there was every kind of person dressed in every kind of way, men and women, in that building, uh, all of the celebrities and so on. It's unmatched even now in terms of how huge that fight was. Amazing. That's an amazing story. Your book, uh, uh, which is called On Someone Else's Nickel, A Life in Sports and Travel, uh, was a fascinating read. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And you put an emphasis even in the title on the travel part. And I thought one of the things that was really charming about the book and made it even more interesting to me was that you put such an emphasis on the fact that you were allowed to explore the world uh, while you did these sports casts, and you really made it kind of a very fun travel book in a way. Well, it, that wasn't quite the intention, but it was close to it. I think what I was trying to say was that I certainly appreciated uh, the fact that I had that opportunity to travel the world literally on someone else's nickel being paid to go yeah. and all of these events. I mean, that was kind of a cheeky title and I'm sure some people thought exactly that. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the, the point uh, that I was making in, in the book itself was that, uh, you know, I, I was interested in a lot of other things besides covering the sport. And other uh, memoirs by uh, colleagues of mine in, in the sports television business uh, were properly so about their careers and what they got to cover and who won and who played the best game and so on and so forth. And I felt, well, I don't really, that's not what I'm thinking about when I look back on my life in, in sports television. It's the places I got to see, the people I got to meet, the cultures I learned about, the food and wine, the, the whole experience. It was like a grad school, you know, of, a, of world culture. And mm -hmm. I, I looked and, and cherished that opportunity every time we got to go to a new place. And we did literally cover the world. Uh, I think the only, only major countries that we didn't get to were India and, and Russia. I think we touched wow. down on, on virtually uh, every other, uh, you know, civilized country in the world. Well, and you, you did 10 Olympic Games, which, you yes. know, that alone creates an international flavor to it. One of the, the, the um, things that you, places you went to, and you did boxing there, um, you may have done some tennis as well, during a period where that was of great importance to that country was South Africa. How was that experience in going there, especially at the time you went there? It was absolutely terrific, and there were, there were a couple of reasons for it, Al. One uh, was that I'd always wanted to had this vision of a Hemingway-esque safari trip. Uh, uh, I always wanted to, to, to go to, uh, to Africa and go on safari. 
And uh, when we booked the, the, the uh, it was a Bob Arum fight uh, to go to South Africa, I was really excited knowing I, if, I, if there was any way I could somehow get a little piece of a safari, I would try to do that. Uh, in that first trip, that just didn't happen. We were too busy with the schedule of prepping for the fight and so on, which was in a small uh, town that was uh, in one of the so-called homelands at that point. And the local promoter there, uh, uh, Saul Kersner, who was a, uh, at that point was a businessman in other ventures, but was a real boxing fan. He had boxed some as an amateur, but he had opened a small casino in 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 this homeland of Botswana, and it was uh, um, John Tate, as I recall, a heavyweight uh, champion at the time, against a, a South African cop, Kali Kanutsa. And I was really interested to see: is this going to be a mixed audience? Will it be all white or all black? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we had a black American and, and, and a white uh, South African policeman. And uh, so I was, I was really thrilled with just with the notion of seeing what this was going to be like in this country that I only had read about and had followed the whole story of apartheid. Well, that went very well, that fight. And uh, uh, Tate won rather easily. And it gave Kersner and Aram a chance to then, uh, within a year or two, uh, Kersner had opened the big Sun City Resort outside of Johannesburg, and we had a mixed crowd there, which uh, Aaron was properly uh, very proud of, that uh, blacks and whites were sitting together, which was totally rare for anything uh, uh, like a sports event going on in, uh, in South Africa at the time. So uh, I saw it as an historic occasion uh, that I got an education in. Uh, a CBS News reporter who was just kind of helping us out with the production offered to, well, at my request, <laughs> to uh, drive me into Soweto. And there were all kinds of restrictions. You were not just able to jump in a rental car and drive in there. The, 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 you know, the white police at that time of apartheid uh, controlled everything. So without going into all of the details of that, again, it was, a, it was part of a life experience and a life education that I was eager for. And gratefully, we got a chance to go back there for a, a second uh, fight with uh, Weaver and uh, uh, Jerry Kutsia uh, at uh, Sun City, so and another fight in Joburg. So I really kind of fell in love with, uh, with Africa, still have a, a great relationship with friends there because I got involved with a wildlife action group uh, based right. in the U.S. and we went back there for many years, my late wife and I, as part of an effort to uh, help with conservation there. Yeah, you write about it beautifully in your book, and I urge everyone to get a copy of the book. Uh, you will hear more stories or read more stories like the one Tim just told you. Your connection with boxing uh, has created uh, now uh, the fact that you are on the ballot of the uh, Boxing Hall of Fame. And I, while I never talk about who I vote for publicly, I never do it and have not done it. I am going to break my rule and say right now that I proudly voted for Tim Ryan. <laughs> and uh, um, and uh, it would be uh, appropriate and richly deserved for you to go in alongside uh, with, who is already in the, the Hall of Fame, of course, your uh, cohort, Gil Clancy. Well, that's very kind of you. I was there with uh, Gil when he was inducted and went to Canastota for the uh, ceremony, and I was so proud of him and happy for him. It meant a lot to him. His whole life was in boxing, and he certainly was deserving. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I imagine most of the voters are going to be too young to even remember me, <laughs> frankly. But, uh, uh, I think if, your fame will precede you to them. Uh, well, I, that would be very nice, very nice. If it happens, I'll have to prepare a, a, a martini for, for Gil when we're both in the great beyond. He was, he was a, a religious, uh, uh, very, 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 three very dry martini. Uh, before every meal we had on the road. <laughs> people that don't know Gil, um, he was a raconteur. You know, people might look at him from the outside and say, oh, this gruff boxing, uh, you know, trainer. But he was an eclectic man who was uh, knowledgeable about many different topics. Absolutely, he, uh, Irish culture for one of them. And, and, we, and we got to uh, cover, of course, uh, Barry McGuigan in, in Belfast uh, twice um, and made a trip to Ireland. Uh, and, you know, I, I 
call that chapter, you know, too mixed to visit the old sod. <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, we, we really had a, a, a terrific time. Again, a chance to learn, in this case, more about our Irish heritage. And it was a very exciting time. And, and Gil was totally into all of that. And he had, uh, you know, political opinions. He was, he was somebody who, uh, uh, who had a greater grasp of the world than just the sport that he was involved in. You know, he'd been a, a teacher and a, and a yeah. coach early in his, in his life. And uh, he loved working with young people. And, and uh, uh, he had a big family, seven kids. So he had to work with a lot of young people over his, his yeah. family years. And uh, uh, yeah, no, he, was, he was a very fun guy to be around. He was intellectually challenging. And we had great arguments. And people used to think, God, those guys don't get along very well. <laughs> <laughs> it was all an act that we had with each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, you two are great together for sure. Before I let you go, I want to ask you a simple question that I, I, I it, well, it's not, it's not simple and it's, it's actually broader than being very specific maybe, but uh, I want to know your philosophy on broadcasting. Uh, I'm, you know, one of the topics that, you know, um, obviously uh, fascinates me to no end is how different broadcasters approach their craft. What's your overarching philosophy on being a play-by-play -play announcer in the world of sports? Well, um, I'm happy to answer that question because I, I do have uh, feelings about it that I applied in all of my years, almost 52 years in the business and covering so many different sports, which meant that I was working with different analysts, mm -hmm. obviously each time a football player or basketball coach and crazy Al McGuire. In that case, uh, we had many great years together um, and a number of, uh, of former NFL players that became TV analysts. And I always felt and still do that the goal, the, uh, the, the job of uh, the play-by-play -play guy is to make sure you've got all of the information that you require to prepare for the event and then make sure that you give your expert, who the fans really want to hear from, uh, give him all of the opportunity, in some cases the lead-ins, to show and tell what he knows about the sport, which whatever it is. And that working with Gil would be the best example of that. But I applied it in, uh, to, to all of the people that I work with. Um, a lot of the play-by-play -play guys, I think, talk too much. Um, and, and, they, and they don't. Uh, give their analysts the opportunity to get in and out with the time frames of the various sports. Some, you know, those opportunities are very short, some are longer. And, uh, and I really believe that the play-by-play -play guy is there to uh, just help the fans know who the numbers are, who's out there, what happened on that play, and then find out the why from the uh, analyst sitting next to you. You uh, framed the event uh, as well as anyone that's ever done this, and your explanation just now kind of demonstrates what your mission statement was. And uh, over the years, uh, nobody has done it better than you, Tim. And uh, uh, I'm I'm always happy to share with uh, people that, uh, as a consumer of boxing, not as necessarily even as a broadcaster. Uh, my favorite listen of all time was you and Gil Clancy. And uh, of course, I loved you in all your other sports as well. But uh, that was that's my favorite listen for a, a boxing match. And um, I, I know the next time I see you, I will be uh, um, talking to you as a future as a Hall of Fame inductee. So um, I appreciate you being with us. Well, you're very kind, and you're certainly well deserving of being in the uh, in the Boxing Hall of Fame. And I'd love to join you there, but uh, you know that's up to the fans. It may, it might, as I said, it might be a little too late, uh, but that's okay. My memories are in there. Well, you're a Hall of Famer in any case. So, uh, Tim, thank you so so much. Uh, I want to remind people his book is on someone else's nickel. A life in sports uh, and travel, and I assure you, it is you will enjoy it. It is a, a great read. You can get it on Amazon.com, and uh, please avail yourself of that. Tim, thanks so much. Thank you, Al. Great to be with you. Well, that's why uh, Tim Ryan was such a good listen all those years on CBS, uh, not only doing boxing but doing other sports as well. Uh, he's a fascinating, uh, intelligent an interesting man, and uh, I enjoyed uh, chatting with him uh, about, uh, 
you know, the times I got to uh, listen to him and work with him. And I meant that when I said that when I was working with him and Gil Clancy on those few occasions, I didn't even want to talk because, as I pointed out, it's like tapping Fred Astaire on the shoulder and asking if you can cut in while he's dancing with Ginger Rogers. You know, you don't, you don't want to mess up <laughs> the perfect partnership. Um, and speaking of uh, somebody that uh, we've partnered with, uh, Tom Yankello, uh, who uh, world-class boxing uh, channel, uh, which is a channel that has all kinds of great um, uh, instructional videos and more than instructional videos, videos that enhance the, your understanding of the, uh, the strategy of boxing. And Tripa, that's the part that I think is, is good about his channel. You don't have to be an amateur boxer to find it interesting. Well, certainly. And it's really, having watched a lot of his videos now, it really has increased my love of the sport because you just find out so much kind of inside information and you can analyze a fight and watch it completely differently. So from that yeah. regard, it's fun. Very good point. Of course, Tom's going to be working in the corner of Roy Jones Jr. when he uh, goes in, I think, on November 23rd yeah, against uh, uh, Mike Tyson in that match that uh, that they've put together, uh, adding to the busy boxing calendar. Well, <clears throat> my thanks to Vinny Pazienza and Tim Ryan, and of course, thanks to Trip for his effort. Uh, the Let's Do Something production folks for putting this together, and we will see you next time on Albernstein Unplugged.